0: Thanks, Nate. Well, you're in for a real treat today. Uh, we are very blessed to have a wonderful staff here at Woodmont Baptist Church, and including the Reverend Trey Heyman, who's going to be bringing a word this morning. I've been trying to get him up in the pulpit uh, for a few months now. We've been talking about it since last fall, and uh, back in February when we were planning out this series on prayer, I, I asked Trey, how would you feel about, you know, preaching in this series? And I'd love to. I'd be honored. I mean, We figured it out. It fit just right for him to be here this morning to talk about moving downward when words can't express Uh, the psalms of lament, prayers of lament. And Trey's a a young man, but he's a wise and gifted uh, minister and preacher and teacher. He's uh, in seminary right now at Fuller uh, Seminary, a great school a little west of here in California, and. He's uh, learning and growing. I'm just honored and blessed to call him a co laborer in the gospel. So let's welcome Trey this morning to the pulpit.
1: Well, thank you, Nathan. That was a great introduction. It's hard to follow that. Also, hard to follow a very cute baby dedication. But I hope that this doesn't kill the mood. Uh, but I'm excited for what God has in store for us this morning. If you haven't been with us this month, we've been talking about prayer and the amazing power of prayer. There's nothing like prayer to quiet what is going on around us so that we can focus in on God. In all seriousness, though, prayer is about the easiest way to get a whole group of people to be silent. All you got to do is ask, who wants to pray? And all of a sudden, it becomes basically a game of quiet mouse where people try to wait out each other for a game of awkward silence. Great pro tip if you ever need that. And there's a lot that goes into why people might be hesitant to pray. Some of us don't know what to pray. But thank God we see in Romans that the Spirit of God intercedes with us for, with groanings too deep for words. In other words, if we are believers, the Spirit of God prays for us when we don't know what to pray. For others of us, not knowing what to pray might not be the reason. Sometimes we just forget. Other times it feels like we're praying into thin air, really. If you watched me walking around and praying, you'd probably think I was crazy, and I probably wouldn't argue with you too much about it. Some of us, though, have been praying and asking God to move in powerful ways, but have not seen Him answer our prayers. And so when we pray, we wonder if He's even there. And a lot of feelings like that go into prayer, and why or why not, we might be comfortable doing it. Those of you that know me well know I feel very deeply. If you got a chance to come to my wedding back in December, you got a chance to experience that firsthand. I'm pretty sure I started bawling my eyes out before the bridesmaids made it down. Uh, and I'm not talking like a cute cry, I'm talking a straight up ugly cry. It was not great, and the pictures are pretty, pretty rough. I mean, snot, tears just falling down my face. So I, I feel a lot, right? And it's acceptable for a, gri- a guy to c- cry at his wedding. It's not acceptable for a guy to cry when his feelings are hurt or when he feels alone. It's not acceptable for someone to cry, when, especially when you don't know what's even going on or why the tears might be coming. Well, I've been there many times in multiple places at home, with friends, with people on vacation, all of those places, wondering when God would step in to help and do something about it. And when this happens, you feel like a little kid afraid in the dark, waiting for his parents to get home trapped in your room alone. and As soon as you start to understand, okay, my parents are gonna be home, you hear a storm start raging outside. And you know logically the storm's outside, but it feels like the storm's inside, and you hear the creaks in the hardwood, and it feels like someone's in your house, and they're coming to get you, and you don't know when they're gonna come to get you. Well, if you've been there, you're not alone. As a guy, I feel the tension of wanting to have it all together and be tough and strong, but at the same time recognizing that God has wired me to feel deeply and be moved by compassion. And honestly, it's an act of faith for me to say, to not say that I feel too much because God has wired me that way. Today's message was birthed out of dark nights, like the one I described, both for me and for the psalmist. And maybe some of you are in the midst of your own dark night where you feel trapped or you wonder if God's even there. And I hope this can shed some light on that for you. Maybe others of you have gone through a dark night. Maybe others of you will go through a dark night, and I believe that there are people in this room who have simply suppressed those dark nights internally and have led them to a place where they feel numb. And to get what God has in store for you today, I believe that some of you are going to have to plunge into the depths of those dark places in order to see that God is in fact there. And as you do that, I don't doubt that some painful things might resurface. But my hope is not in your emotional response. My hope is in Jesus. And I believe that through him we can find hope, not merely by expecting that the pain will end, but can find hope in the pain and while we feel pain. Because while our emotions are constantly changing, our God is constant and he is good. He is the solid rock on which we stand. So with that fair warning, I want to invite you to ask God to enter into the dark places of your soul To show you where he can be found in the midst of them. If you're able, join with me and stand as we read Psalm 42 and let the word of God speak to us. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and song of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I'll say this is the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. And let's pray. God, I just ask this morning that you breathe life into us, that you speak life into the dark places of our life. Lord, I pray that you be with me as I speak. I pray that words that come out of my mouth will be only of you and everything else will fall away. Lord, I pray that you'll open up our ears to hear your word, to hear what you have in store for us, open up our eyes to see you more clearly, open up our hearts to receive what you have in store for us, and open up our hands, our feet, and our mouths to live it out and proclaim it into this broken world. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as you hear this passage, at the first glance, you might have a couple different reactions. First, this passage sounds just straight up conflicted. This guy doesn't know how he feels. One, he's saying he cries all the time, his tears are his food day and night, but yet at the other time he's saying, oh, I saw God do all these awesome things. The second way you might read this passage is saying that we should ignore the hard things just to remember what God has done, and that that will change our perspective. To focus on God, don't worry about it, it'll all be okay. But what if there's a third way? What if this passage represents a form of prayer, representing an inner conflict that is natural to the human existence? That hope and pain can simultaneously exist. Before we go any further into this, context is really important here. The psalm opens up by saying that it is a psalm of the sons of Korah, which we see in Second 2 Chronicles twenty nineteen are a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. Another important thing is that Psalm 42 and 43 really should be read as one entire song. The same refrain of, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Is written throughout Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. But needless to say, today we're going to focus in on Psalm 42. And I believe there's a couple major lessons that we can gain purely from the context and big picture. So number one is this, and it'll be on the screen. We are called to praise in all circumstances. And there are two things with that. We're called to praise always, which is what we do in church, right? We always praise, we come in and we rejoice, praising that God is good no matter what. But the second part, I believe the church doesn't always do a good job doing. We don't admit our circumstances and be honest about where we are. Sometimes we say we're praising God in all circumstances, but by walking into church and putting on a happy face and trying to forget about everything else that's going on, the inadvertent message that we are communicating is that we don't believe God is good in the midst of our circumstance. Because what we're saying by doing that in ways is communicating to God that you're only good when I feel good and when I'm not thinking about where I am. But God is good where we are. He's not just the God of happy places. He's God in all places. And while our intention in doing this is likely good, to say, God, you are bigger than my struggle, ultimately what we do here by ignoring our circumstances is to indicate a belief we can't praise him in our current one. And what we see in this passage is we see people who were charged with the ministry of singing, proclaiming verbally in song two things. One, that they're hurting, that they're in pain, that their tears have been their food day and night, they're in exile, that God feels distant. I don't know if you've been there where you wonder if God's even there, if you've prayed and asked God to heal someone and he didn't the way you wanted to, you've asked God to move and not felt him answer, if you've prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like you never heard anything back, that's what this Psalm is talking about. God, I keep asking you to show up, but you're not here, I just feel pain. Where are you? Why have you forgotten me? But the second thing they proclaim is that their hope is in God. So as there's this tension, This sort of dance. So hear this today. Just because we sing in church that God is good doesn't mean everything needs to feel good internally or even that everything needs to be good externally in the world. Feeling good and and hope are not mutually exclusive things. Me praising God does not mean I feel great. In fact, some of my most powerful worship experiences have been when I've told God, I don't know where you are. I've been praying and I don't feel like you're there. And then God did something amazing and showed me that in fact he was there with me and he felt with me. And what we do by singing is proclaim truth to our broken souls like Job does in Job 13, 15, where he says, though he being God, though God slay me, I will hope in him. So if you're here today and you feel like God has been putting you through one thing after another that has hurt, we're still called to put our hope in God. What a tension, right? The psalm opens up with this very tension, Lord, I'm thirsty, but I know you alone will satisfy. St. Augustine of Hippo said that our souls are restless until we find rest in you, O God. When we start to understand this, it starts to change things in us. My mom and dad are here today, and when I was in college, one of the times I got most upset with my mom was when she made me get my wisdom teeth out on New Year's Eve. Needs to say, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do on New Year's Eve, and I argued with her, but of course I was at home, so she got to do what she wanted to do, and that involved me getting my wisdom teeth out. Well, at, right after that, a few days later, I went back to Belmont University where I was at school and was at work, and I got probably the sickest that I'd been in a long time. I, my, I may have gotten a fever. I couldn't really move. My whole body felt really weak, and I just—I'm normally not someone who feels really bad and complains about be, feeling sick. Uh, But I guess I called my dad to check in on what was going, and my dad, uh, in essence, told my mom to come up, and she took me to the ER. And they ran a bunch of tests on me to see what was going on, thinking, all right, maybe he's got the flu, maybe he's got mono, who knows what it is. Um, They ran all these tests. Everything came back fine. Uh, But then they're like, you know, maybe we'll just put some fluid in him. And so two liters of fluid later, I was up and at him, and I felt great because I had my wisdom teeth out. I just hadn't been able to eat, and so I hadn't had enough fluid. And what I want us to get out of this is that sometimes our sickness actually reveals a deeper thirst. The things that plague us internally can go on to reveal to us a deeper longing that is to know God. We see this even in the frame, refrain of the psalm, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? The Hebrew word used here for turmoil is a word that means to grumble or murmur, like when you're hungry. My dad's also here today and before Ann and I got married back in December, my whole family outside of me went on a diet for their wedding bots. And my dad liked to talk about how he never really liked Pop-Tarts except when he was on his diet. And for whatever reason when he was at work, the thing that just sounded amazing to him was eating a Pop-Tart. Don't get me wrong, Pop-Tarts are delicious. But they're in essence straight up flavored cardboard when it comes to nutrients. They don't really do a whole lot for us. So the question for us is, what are our Pop-Tarts that we're going to, to fill our souls? Obviously, I'm not talking about literal Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts can be very tasty, as I said. But what is it that you crave that you go to to fill you up, but ultimately won't satisfy you? Whatever it is, tell Jesus and let that lead you to proclaim His goodness. So number one point is this, praise in all circumstances, admitting your need for Christ, your reality— and the greater reality. And the second point I believe we can gain from this passage is this. The church needs to be open and honest about both pain and the hope found in Christ. Why do I say that? Well, first, this is a song. And like any good song that just birthed out of dark places, there is something about the song that communicates a message to people regardless of what their circumstance is. And so regardless of what your pain comes from, Whether it's something that happened when you were little, something that happened yesterday, or something, maybe you don't even know why it's there. The basic message of this is true. And not to mention other characters in the Bible like Job and Elijah. The Psalms are ridden with pain and heartache. Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And Psalm 88, 1 through 4 says it like this. It says, it's also by the song song of Korah. Verse 1, the next one on there. Thank you. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. In other words, God... I am hurting and my life feels like a living hell. That's what this passage is saying. My life draws near to Sheol. My life feels like it's a living hell and I don't know what's going on. Psalm 22, David talks about feelings of feeling forgotten by God and forsaken. He cries out to him day and night and prays and doesn't feel like God actually answers him. He loses sleep over it. And he even goes on to talk about himself as a worm who is scorned and despised. And I don't know if you noticed this, but this is the signs of what most psychologists and psychiatrists would consider clinical depression. Why do I say that? Well, in fact, the Hebrew word used in Psalm 42 for downcast is a word that means to be depressed. And I know talking about depression brings up a lot of feelings. Many in the church don't know how to respond to it. Usually it's those who have been there, who have walked closely alongside someone who has, who get it. Some of you might be in the midst of depression yourself. Others of you might be in the future. Other people in this room probably have lost someone to the battle or almost lost yourself. And some of you have been there and are just thankful that you're not there anymore. And depression is a tricky and multifaceted thing with spiritual, physical, emotional components. But the reality is it's a common experience. One in five adults struggle with mental illness. And about 20% of all teenagers, 13 to 18, experience depression before they reach adulthood or age 18, and between 10 to 15 percent suffer from the symptoms at any one time. Sometimes it's circumstantial, sometimes it's biological, sometimes it's spiritual, and usually it's a mix of all of these things. But maybe for you, your dark place doesn't look like depression. But what I want you to hear this morning, there's no place too dark for the Lord to enter into. Last month, as we were talking about the church, we sang this song called This I Believe, saying that Jesus descended into darkness and rose with glorious light. And what's to make us think that he can't do that with our souls? You see, we live in this great tension as followers of Jesus. If we've confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we have eternal life and hope and joy, life that begins now. Scripture says, Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come, and God is making you to look more like him. Yet at the same time, the old is wasting away. As Christians, we simultaneously experience moving closer to death and moving closer to redeemed eternal life. With every passing day, we move closer to the reality that we here on earth will one day die. But yet, at the same time, we move towards the reality that our lives are hidden with Christ and we will get to be resurrected with Him forever. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And at times, Christians have this false idea of having it all together and thinking that that's important. We don't open up and share what's going on because we want to rejoice always, as Scripture calls us to do. And we don't dive down into the depths of our souls and hard things we've experienced because they're not worth spending time in because Jesus has made us new. And He has made us new. And we should rejoice in that. But unintentionally, what we often do by ignoring these things is miss out on the overwhelming power of God. And it comes down to us not truly believing he is who he says he is. You see, Jesus doesn't just make life. He takes death and turns it into life. He wasn't simply born. He died. And then three days later, he rose again. The same God that says he can make beauty from ashes and turn what man intended for evil into something for good can do that with us. God doesn't simply demolish things. He's in the business of redemption. So, who are we to think that God can't do the same thing with the dark places in our souls? Because the same God who rose again from the dead, and this is the same God who offers to resurrect us, the same God who can turn our dark places into something beautiful. It's a paradox. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And by his scars, we are healed. And I believe that by acknowledging our scars, God can heal us through our scars and can also offer healing to this broken and fallen world. That's the power of this. And you know, maybe for you, your act of faith today can be saying, today stinks. And that's okay. Shoot, maybe the guy preaching started to bring up some things in your mind that you haven't been thinking about or you're hoping to get in church and just think about the happiness of falling after God. But maybe God is saying to you today, I went down to the depths for you. Now you go down into the depths for me. Plunge into the dark places of your soul that you've been avoiding to see that, in fact, I'm there too. And that he's not done with you yet. Even when everything in and out you, outside of you, like the psalmist, is telling you that God isn't there, that he has left you or forgotten you. God is with you in your dark night. He hasn't left you yet, and he's not planning on it. There's no night too dark, no country too far, no valley too deep that the love of God cannot go. He has not left you yet, and he's not planning on it. And so maybe for you, maybe you've been sitting in a dark night too long, and you've forgotten that God is there and just have been thinking how you're trapped in this room. Maybe the message you need to proclaim to your soul is to hope in God. And the word used in Hebrew here literally means to wait. Sometimes we think of hope as meaning that This will one day be over, but what does it look like to have hope in the waiting, in the meantime? We see God is in the midst of the pain with you. He enters into it with you and feels it with you. This is what it means when Scripture talks about God being Emmanuel, God with us. No one likes to wait, but what if God is found in the waiting and not just the destination? What if prayer is the journey to which we learn to see the Lord in the journey? Psalm 40 says it like this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Maybe what you need to do today is to remember that God is there with you in the waiting. And he hears you even if he hasn't responded the way you want him to yet. Sometimes, I believe God lets us go to the depths of our dark nights to show how nothing else will satisfy other than Him. St. John of the Cross wrote a poem about the experience of feeling lost in the midst of the darkness and experiencing God in the midst of it. Oftentimes, at our darkest places, we lose the ability to find joy in anything. The Pop-Tarts that used to satisfy don't do it anymore. We don't even enjoy them. And sometimes, for many of us, even in our worst, reading Scripture and praying and coming to church doesn't even cut it. But God is still there, and he wants to use it for his glory. And if you let him, like a good surgeon, he can heal you. It may take some painful cutting into you and some painful physical therapy afterwards, but God can use all of those things to make you even better than you were before and to also spark hope in others that he can take broken things and turn them into something beautiful. You see, God doesn't ask us to wait until life is beautiful and better to calm down in order to have a relationship with Him. He wants a relationship with each and every one of us in the midst of our circumstances with whatever is going on. In the Gospel of Mark, we see this story of Jesus on the boat with His disciples. And while He's on the boat, a storm comes up, and the disciples who are professional fishermen start freaking out. And Jesus is asleep, so they wake Him up. And Jesus just wakes up and says, peace be still, and the storm stops. But Jesus wasn't just Jesus when he made the storm stop. Jesus was just as much Jesus when he was asleep on the boat. So maybe the message you need to proclaim to your soul is that while you feel that you are in the storm and that maybe even God is asleep and you're wondering where he is, he is still there. And of course, he could have not had the storm happen to begin with, but what will we learn about him from that? So now what? I believe the Lord is calling us to a few things in light of this text. Number one, he's teaching us how to sit with ourselves and with God. That to be sad is okay, but we're also called to have hope in the midst of it. That God is actually at work in the midst of dark places. That he wants to give you a new song. And like many good songs, a song that is birthed out of dark places and places that were hard. But a song that can spark hope and life into a broken and fallen world. The number two call from this passage is to remind our souls to prayer. And to believe that prayer can illuminate us to what God is up to in the journey and not just for us to arrive at the destination. And lastly, this passage can inform us on how we sit with people. I don't know how many times you've been with someone when you're not feeling well and they just try to offer solutions to fix the problem, but more often than not, it doesn't really help. What you really want is to understand that someone is sitting there with you. And so maybe the challenge for you today is to think of how you sit with people. Are you sitting with people in a mindset that is how God lives? Sitting with people in the midst of their pain and circumstances. You see, God doesn't ask you to get better and then come. He says, come as you are. Bring it all to him. Lay it down at his feet. God doesn't love you in spite of your dark places. He loves you with them and in them. Let us pray. God, we uh, love you and we thank you that you are good in all of your ways. Thank you that you are with us in the dark places. Thankful, We're thankful that you are kind to us beyond what we can understand Lord I pray that you'll just help us to see more of you today in Jesus name we pray amen I'm going to ask Lily and Maddie Keaton to come up Uh, they're going to lead us in a song Um, and as we do that um, we're going to have a different sort of invitation this morning in the back of your pew racks you can find connection cards and on those connection cards is a little spot that you can put down a prayer request And what we're going to do is what I'm going to ask you to do is to write down something on there that you need to bring to light, that you need to show the Lord. You don't have to write your name down if you don't want to. Just write down that thing and lay it forward as an offering to say, God, I want you to show me that you're here in this place. If you want to put your name on it, you're welcome to, but you don't have to. Towards the end of this song, I'm going to ask the ushers to come back forward and gather up those prayer requests. And what they're going to do is there's a bucket in the north entrance and one in the south entrance to put those prayer requests in there. And as you walk out of church today, you're going to go and grab one of those prayer requests and take it with you and pray over that for the person this week to think about what is it that you need to bring to the altar before the Lord. Maybe today too, maybe you haven't made a profession of faith or you haven't been baptized or you're looking for a church home. Uh, Nathan and I will both be up front if you need someone to talk to or if you just need someone to pray for you.